the whole idea of justice is what the left pushes and the whole idea of judgment is what the right pushes but they have to be compatible judgment before justice i have to be able to judge what it is you're doing yeah before i can tolerate what it is you're doing i have to see the consequence of what your actions are before i can tolerate them i'm not going to tolerate them just because i'm going to judge what does your action entail as a second order third order effect before i can tolerate it and that's the key but you got to be able to judge before you tolerate and justice cannot come until there's judgment made first and they don't want that judgment part who are you to judge how dare you judge me you know you don't right. know me only god can judge me this is the rebellious anthem of the teenage mindset that says that they know better than everybody else and i say to them look there's room for that as long as the activity you're engaged in is not harming others and it harms just you directly, we'll let you judge because nature will judge you. Nature does. Nature does not mess around. Yeah. Right. So, so for, for this whole idea of, you know, compassion and tolerance and all that stuff, that has to come after the judgment. Otherwise, you're done. Welcome to The Furrowed Brow with Jeffrey Kipler. If you're enjoying The Furrowed Brow, please like, comment, and subscribe. And if you really like it, consider a donation through Patreon. I'm a one-man show. I really enjoy making this. All of the support is greatly appreciated. And you know, the more support I can get, more podcasts and time I, I can make and time I can carve out for this. So thanks a lot and hope you enjoy the episode. All right, there we go. Uh, we are live. Right on. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thank you for coming back, Ace. It was, it was a genuine pleasure last time. Yeah, I don't know if I have four. I don't know if I have four hours I can do again. But um, no, you know. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was a first for me as well. So um, I'm sure we'll we'll do it a lot better with a lot less time this time. For sure. Oh man. So what have you been up to these days since I spoke to you last? Well, I've been trying to um, sort of assess the the landscape of tech. Uh, since ChatGPT has really taken off, right? And I've been I've been trying to figure out how it all fits in, and uh, of course you got the the, the the gloomy type people out there like Eliezer who are just ready to you know rip their shirts off in the middle of the street and self immolate in protest, right? <laughs> so there's that angle of it, which uh, always you always have to at least listen to the to the, to the critique, even if it doesn't sound. Um, well thought out or well considered because um, the angle to Eliezer's problem is he's putting a 100% certitude on a low probability event. And we just went through that. We just saw what happened when we took people who said, oh, this is going to end the whole world, lock everybody down and take all these jabs. And it's a 1% chance that that could be true. And it's a black swan. And oh my goodness, right? So, So we went down that path already. And it seems that we haven't learned that lesson yet. However, to give the devil his due, you listen. Now, the problem with that angle is that anything he could conceive of in his imagination is true. Because his argument is it's a deference to a higher level of intelligence. Therefore, whatever I can conceive of, that thing could do it. Damn the laws of physics, damn the laws of biology and complex systems. This thing can create a virus and it can send off a small Wi-Fi signal, and then on the day that he pushes the button, we all self, you know, we kill each other, or we die, whatever the case is. And so you got that side of the equation. Then you got the other side of the equation, um, where people are just 
completely dismissive of it. It's like, oh, this is just a fad. Now they're not as loud. Um, and, I, and, I, and the reason they're not as loud is it's unlike crypto, this is actually immediately shown to be, um, you know, a real world application. People are using it. Um, it's unbelievable. It's, like, the, it is. you know, I mean, I, we're, we're quite late to the game, I think, in the commentary on the, these things. But I mean, in my experience, I, I've, I've played around with this for a number of months and, you know, the three, five was interesting. Um, mm, and it was like, wow, this one. is, this is kind of cool. And yeah. then Chat GPT four came out, and it's like yeah. holy shit! Um, yes. I'll give you a small a small example of what I was able to do with it. Like, so I'm as you know, I'm not a I'm not a programmer. I mean, I have I have some technical understanding, but I don't write code. Um, right. SQL at best, uh, and I was able to. And I tried this experiment with three five, where what I did is I was attempting to I was attempting to make a. a Theo TJ Jordan bot, where I was going to program <laughs> a, a, a large language model to, you know, to, to respond how um, Theo would respond uh, to various tweets, uh, you know, so I could out volume his uh, prolific tweeting. And I, I wasn't, I got stuck, you know, somewhere along the lines of interfacing with Twitter's API, I was just, I, I got lost. And when I tried to do it again with uh, GPT four, the I was able to get through, and it and it looked at and it was able to diagnose what I was doing wrong before, which was I had multiple packages of Python installed, and mm -hmm. it wasn't getting called correctly, and it gave me a solution to install Docker, so I had a virtual environment, and then it, mm -hmm. it walked me through how to do all of it. I I just did what it told me every step of the way, and mm -hmm. it worked this time. It was phenomenal. How long did it take you to get that up and running? I, I never got the bot itself up and running, but I was able to interface with, uh, I was able to get all of the data off of uh, Twitter. I was able to change it uh, through multiple JSON formats to get it into the format that I could upload for, to ChatGPT. And I did some of the uploading for it, but I never I never got through the, the, the tuning and making the bot itself. And I kind of got bored because I just saw other people had already done these things already. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but it was a very interesting exercise and just, you know, for somebody who's really with no, no real coding experience, being able to make this happen, it was just mind blowing. So that's interesting. The other question I have for you, cause we don't have access to it, but have you tried Google Bard and what's your experience with that? I tried Google Bard. Now I've heard it's gotten better, but I tried it. Like I, I qualified like a month or two ago for it and I found it was absolutely terrible by comparison. What so was you your thought on it? Well, I have, we, we in Canada, it's not available yet, right? Ah. So it, was, it was funny because they said it's available in 180 countries. And I kept wondering if we've changed the definition of countries these days because, you know, we're, re, we're redefining words by the minute here. So I couldn't really figure out why. I mean, we're literally up north. Like, the easiest country to give access to would be us, but we didn't get it. Interesting. So I've been waiting to see that. But But to get back to the original point, the other side of the equation, which was that, you know, everybody's going to lose their jobs and there's some merit to that. Right. But, but it's kind of like, it's, you're going to lose your job, not to AI potentially, but to people who are using AI effectively. That's right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so that's, that's the key. And, and, and it's, I have a buddy of mine who's a designer and he's like, Hey, so, um, you know, I kind of whipped this out in like 25 minutes. This would have taken me four or five hours. I said, this is great because think about it this way. You are now able to write music and, 
show up and conduct the symphony as opposed to we have to go in and clean underneath the chairs because that's what yep. we used to do. Yeah. Right? So if we can offload all the grunt work to these tools, it opens up the space for your creativity because that gives you room to do some new things. Yeah. I, I, one of the points I've been making is like the, you know, and, and whatever IQ is a very rough, a very blunt instrument, but mm-hmm. those in like those white collar workers in the 100 to 120 IQ range are going to be in trouble. The uncreative types who are doing work that takes uh, some degree of intelligence, um, Mm. but doesn't require that much creativity or novel thinking, it's Mm. just gonna be blown out out the water. Well, see now, so here's the interesting element of it, right? So so the the argument about how this is gonna become sentient and it's gonna wipe us all off the map and blah, blah, blah. So so try to think about it, like I said, let's give it the devil it's due and let's think about it this way, right? So how much sand do you need before it turns into a little sand pile and how much sand do you need before it turns into a desert? But similarly, how many neurons and how many brain cells do you need before something becomes smart and alive and conscious? I don't know, right? I, I, well, I assume there's a level to that. There's how can you tell the points. difference? Like, th- this is where I, I've gotten to on it. It's like, if I can't tell the difference between real intelligence and artificial intelligence, is there a difference? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how to wrap my head around that. What do you think? Well, I think about it this way. Um, perhaps our assumption of the word intelligence is where we need to start, right? Because clearly we've seen enough things on Twitter to know that humans not necessarily possess intelligence as much as we would like to think we do, right? So so that's a starting point because it's like, are we defining intelligence by Dr. Eric Weinstein's level or are we defining it by um, the average person who's going to go riot because X, Y, Z happened, right? So so that's 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 a starting point. That's that's where we can say, okay, maybe our we need to understand our definitions um, because luckily for us and, and luckily for the vast majority of things on earth, survival doesn't actually depend on intelligence. If it did... Mm-hmm very few things would be available to, to, to continue to live, right? So so that's one thing. Yep. So you got the survivability element of it. Um, and I, I think what intelligence can do is it can actually accelerate your path to go to where you want to go. Um, and sometimes it can accelerate your path to go where you do, you shouldn't go, but you think you should go. So that's where we're getting the whole uh, unable to define what a woman type of conversation is because that's the hyperintelligence taking you down the wrong path. Yep. Right? So, so, so... The element that's interesting about this is we have to stop and it's okay. Once we understand what definition of intelligence is, let's go back and think about what a computer could do really, really well. Right. So one of the things that a computer does really, really well is it can take the same action repeated billions and billions of times without getting tired. Right. So if you did a podcast a day, every day for the next hundred days, your entire reach and your, 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 your capabilities would be drastically improved just simply because you're repeating it. The reason most of us don't succeed in life, and this is happens to, to be my personal experience, so again, take it with a grain of salt, is that we quit because we're unable to sustain, repeat operations until we see the reward. And sometimes the reward is a little further away. In that, in that for loop, it's on that 150th mm-hmm. try, we come up on the 20th try, right? So, so, so the, the idea of how uh, you know, these computers are working on things is they're just repeating the same task over and over and over, and they're getting feedback based on how people use it and how many you know thumbs up they get from the human uh, evaluators. And as a consequence, they're improving. But they're, you know, I imagine if you and I got introduced to ChatGPT version 1.0, we'd probably be underwhelmed, right? Yeah. I mean, right? and- <laughs> 3.5 was a cute. Yeah. 4 is, is impressive, but it's slow. 
I mean, and, four, and four is mind blowing to me, but yeah, it's a little slow. It is. I, what I did um, as uh, I was working on a, a framework to to help write apps that I that I write in, in GoLang, and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to test this on 4.0, and I took chunks of code and I said, okay. So I, I learned the hack, which is you know you tell it, okay, assume the role of a senior GoLang engineer or whatever the case is, and you when you give it the rules, like okay, you return early from um, functions, you use singular. Uh, purpose functions such like the Unix philosophy, and you you don't use a bunch of nested if else as you you use to switch um, me, um, mechanisms as, as quickly as possible to keep the code clean. And I would give it a small bit of code and say, okay, make this code robust, which was the first requirement, and then make it as fast as possible, make it as efficient as possible. And I started to notice that wow, there are some angles of Go that I hadn't thought about, and it's showing me those angles. And then I would start to think about it in that way. And, and then yeah. I started to notice how much faster my ability to, to see problems and to improve my code started to accelerate. And it was crazy because within a period of 10 days, I was able to rewrite my entire framework, not completely by just copy pasting and what it came back out, because obviously I'd say, okay, this looks like it's good code, but let me just, because I have multiple machines, I said, okay, let me put it on one machine running the Docker version with this code that ChatGPT gave me. And I'm going to run on, on the second machine with my version of it. And then I'm going to run test suites and then I'm going to run benchmarks. And then I'm going to see the difference. And, you know, that's a whole, you have to be kind of like obsessed with this type of work to go that route to it. But, but as, as I start to develop a sense for how to talk to ChatGPT, I start to notice how much it can give you uh, abilities to improve. And similarly, I, I, I start to do some marketing work with, with my uh, company Moonlit on, on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. And what I would do is I would come up with something I wanted to say. I'd go to chat GPT and say, take this phrase, make it funny or make it witty or make it memorable. And then I would spit back a couple of answers in the first two or three, like, yeah, that's not so good. But one of the things I noticed as a part of that creative uh, juice we were talking about earlier is that as I saw the answers it was giving, it was telling my brain to jump off at different points. So I was able to take its feedback, apply my own uh, flavor to it, yeah. and then I would, I'd get better quality tweets out of it. Now, what I did try was I said, let me just see if it'll blank draw out a tweet for me because in Canada, we finally got access to the ability for ChatGPT to, to sort of browse the sites. So I gave it my URL for my company and I said, okay, go read this site and then just give me five promotional tweets. Mm. And it was scary how good they were. I was like, wow, this is version four, the cutoff knowledge, quote unquote, which I still don't understand why you would cut off the knowledge in 2021. That doesn't make sense to me, but I guess it's uh, they had a hard stop or their compute problems were, were, were enormous. And they were like, okay, we just have to put a cutoff point, even if it seems arbitrary, it is what it is. But I started to notice that, wow, I now actually can say that as a small company that I have that I'm running, that I actually have help on my marketing side of things. Whereas before I'd have to rely on another person, yeah. you know, get some feedback. This is actually quite helpful. So, so I think it's a game changer on that front um, on many levels. I'm still trying to uh, grep or grasp what um, Eliezer is really putting down there. And um, I don't see it. And I think yeah. it's his confidence that throws me off more than anything else. He's so the sure. confidence is scary. If, yeah, if sure. he's absolutely sure that this thing is going to wake up and it's going to kill us all. And, and and I'm like, okay, if, you know, and, and the, you can make this argument very easily, right? Oh, yeah, look, look at the, you know, um, uh, the Drake equation. How come there's no uh, people alive? Or maybe they got their own nukes and they blow themselves up. Or maybe they discovered AI and, their AI killed them or whatever. And, I, and and it's almost always like there's a layer of human projection onto this thing, right? Why can't you project positive things on it? I don't want to be a Pollyanna, obviously. So, yeah. oh, this thing is going to cure cancer. But 
it can't always be like, well, this thing's going to turn to Skynet, right? But but they, I'll t- I've been interact so through my wife, I've been interaction with some of the D side community, and um, one of the guys, uh, shout out to Science Stanley, is a LLM expert, and I'm actually mm. hoping to get him on the show. And he mm. was there was they were using it to investigate. Um, I, and I'm not going to characterize this correctly, but it was a rare disease this guy Joe had. And mm. Joe had been told he was a hypochondriac for years, that something was making him lethargic and he was having all of these uh, health issues. And mm. they, they, lo and behold, they put all of his health records into the LLM and had it start spitting out possibilities. And they ended up finding something for him. Fascinating. So, so that to me speaks to, to uh, I'll give you a scenario, right? So, so people say, oh, machine learning is going to make predictions. I don't think it can make predictions. What it can do, because right. it's always looking at past data, right? It's not, uh, and because of the way the universe works and the laws of entropy and how there's new things created, I don't think it can make a prediction. However, it does do the following. If there was a connection in the data in the past that you didn't see, and then you saw that connection, and then that connection opened a door for you, now you're creating the future because of it. So that's where I think we, people have to be careful how they sort of measure the effectiveness of these machine learning models. It's the, it's the terminology that goes around it. It's saying, oh, it's going to predict the future. Not, not necessarily. It's going to help predict the future because it's going to give human beings a, a path that they weren't necessarily able to see before. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Putin actually put this really well. It's, he, he said, the people that gain control of AI are going to rule the world. Like it's going to be such a power leverage for people who have access to it, that they're mm-hmm. going, their capacities are going to greatly outstrip uh, the potential of other people who have it. I mean, very similar in the way that, you know, you know and, power like electricity and nuclear power or nuclear weapons do that the same sort of thing it's a it's a force multiplier but i i similar to i think what you're articulating is that i don't view it as an independent entity that is going to have power in and of itself right right that's that's the well at least in the current iteration of it that people are 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 uh, talking about i don't see it that way i'm not i'm not saying that it's right. not possible i'm 99 sure but here's my difference my 1% chance that it might be true isn't giving me the full confidence to say, shut the whole world down and get some um, drones to, uh, to fire in missiles right. into the, to the now, data centers that are hosting it. If, if the, so in, in games with closed system games like chess, yeah. go yeah. things where there are a limited number of possibilities of potential moves and the rule set is completely known. Yep. AI will dominate those landscapes without sure. a doubt. And we've already, sure. we've already seen that. Um, yep. And even, and I believe that even in, you know, games that we, it hasn't, you know, uh, real time strategy type games where it hasn't yet. Um, mm. but, but when you get into the infinite number, you know, or uh, approaching infinite, we could say uh, of things like, you know, real decision-making in real night life where you have the entropy problem as you articulated it, the, the, it's the human AI combination that is going to be uh, the most dominating. I would hope so. However, yeah. it seems bleak, and I'll give you a reason why. Okay. If you watch sports these days, one of the things you'll notice is that everything is driven by stats. And, of course, if they're driven by stats, you know there's machine learning models behind it. And sometimes the calls they make are the calls that are safe, that they can justify in the press conference 
after the loss, as opposed to the gutsy call that says, hey, we got a feel for how this game is going. We're on the court or we're on the, you know, you know, 10 yard line. I know that defense isn't strong. I think we could get this ball and I could, you know, push through it. However, the coach up uh, is sitting up top with the, with the, with the five monitors and the six uh, stats guys running machine learning models are saying, no, 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 the safest play is to do X. And a clear cut example of that was when you saw the Patriots defeat the, the Seahawks. The Seahawks, yeah. Right? Instead Give it to Marshawn Lynch. Right, right. Now, here's a question you might have to ask yourself. Why was that decision made? Right? Although the stats guy said this is the best, quote, unquote, outcome and probability is, is X or Y or Z. And they'd also, not only did they overestimate their abilities based on their stats, they discounted the defense's abilities as well. So they completely took the human out of the equation and they just went with raw numbers and it bit them in the butt at the worst moment possible. Right. So in that way, I'm starting to see, and, and here's why I say that to you, because I remember, uh, I don't know if you got the chance to watch that Marshall McLuhan um, video I sent to you before, where he was talking about how people are no longer doing jobs, they're playing roles, mm. right? And the role to play now is, oh, what are we pushing? Oh, we're, we're pushing stats-based decisions on um, uh, sabermetrics uh, for, you know, money ball games for, for baseball. And it's because this is what the stats tell us. And then, and, and that reason, it's always the same case as back in the day where it's, you can't go wrong buying IBM. It's like, well, I don't have to justify the risk I'm going to take to win. I have to be able to protect myself in case it's a loss and somebody wants to take my job. Right. The, I mean, so, that's the game. That's the meta game within the game, right? Yes. And, and, and it creates that, that, that problem of what exactly is your incentive here? And it goes back to our original conversation when we were talking. Remember, if you're facing off somebody who's unpredictable, you can't game theory them because instead of playing to win, you're playing not to lose. Yeah. Right. Whereas if you have an unpredictable person who's basically going on gun instincts and intuition, they're not necessarily listening to all the stats guys all the time. And so a clear-cut example of this in our world is, is Apple versus Google, right? So Apple, they don't, they don't do all the heavy – like everybody said, even – like this, this is Sunday, June 4th, and on June 5th, they're supposed to announce their new headset. And there are already people who are saying this is going to be the biggest flop in Apple's history. It's like you haven't even seen the thing yet, right? How can you make that assumption? And I know why. And, and part of it is because it's very easy to make clickbait material so you can get attention because hating right. on Apple is going to get your traffic on your website. In fact, uh, Linus Media and their whole uh, channel, 16 million viewers or whatever, the entirety of their underlying energy that you could feel when you watch any of their videos is the hatred toward Apple because there's a market for that, right? And mm -hmm. that's good. It's like, you know what? If there's a market for you to express this taste for a particular company or a particular ideology or a particular way of doing things, you're going to get some attention for that. And with that attention is going to turn into some money, which is going to feed back on itself. And then there you go, right? Infinite variance from our previous conversation. So there, that element is there. The, the part that's scary about it is when you look at it and you say, okay, the person who controls um, AI is the person who's going to control the world. And then you start to see, you know, Sam Altman going up to Congress and he's telling them all, oh, we need to regulate AI, just as his guy is now top notch. He right. wants everybody else to not be able to do it. It's like, come on, man, like don't make it so transparent, right? We see it. And and I love the 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 angle he plays, oh, we're not wise enough to steward this. Meanwhile, we're gonna build version five and that's already, you know, in, in production and 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 uh, we have beta testers running it, but we don't want anybody else build again. Uh, it's right. the audacity, it's the it's the the level of, of, of arrogance to come out and say stuff like that. That that just makes it and I, I, again, here's the question, right? So is that game theory modeling of him looking at it saying, hmm, 
they're going to come after us. We might as well get ahead of the curve. Or is that, hey, we don't want anybody else to get anywhere near this, so let's just go and, 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 and muddy the waters a bit. Right? And, and it, it, you know, it's a funny you... thing. It's hard to know explicitly what he's thinking, but the irony of OpenAI being an advocate for government intervention and regulation is pretty hilarious. It, it is, but you, you know what? My hats off to Satya Nadella and Microsoft. Right there, they they looked at this and they said, "Okay, we can eat uh, Google's lunch, and that's where we're going to start." And Google's apparently in panic mode, and I'm starting to wonder what Apple's going to do because Apple's never been good at this stuff. Siri is a dumpster fire, and as always has been. I would pay money, and this is a, an Apple fanboy as, as 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 big as they come. I would pay money for iOS and a macOS release without Siri included. Don't bake oh, it; yeah. it's so bad. Right? I'm just like, hey, I was yelling at Siri yesterday. <laughs> I was literally cursing Siri out, out, and my wife was like, "What are you? What are you saying?" I'm like, "Siri is interrupting." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so now you look at it. And it's okay. Microsoft decided to, you know, completely take a shot at Google. You know, cost them lots of money, make the game more interesting. And I noticed something very interesting that you would be appreciative of. What I noticed was a bunch of Google engineers that I follow. Um, I noticed that a whole bunch of them are no longer pronouncing their pronouns. This has been a recent change and it's a recent development because they used to all like just, you know, and they even had that link where you could click on it. It's a website that would actually show you what your pronouns should be and all that. And now quietly, it's like they're pretending like it never happened. It's like those guys who are using um, face mask pick profile pics and laser eyes. It's all of a sudden it's like it never happened, right? It just quietly, it's, I'm noticing a shift in the dynamic of how people are reacting to that. Do you think that has anything to do with what happened with Elon and Twitter? You know, I'm, I'm, I see that the thing with Elon is, he's an interesting character, right? I, I'm very skeptical. I was a big uh, uh, supporter and a fan until he anointed the WEF person to, to be in charge of the operation or whatever the case was. And I, I get it. You can't win all the battles. You can't have all the fights. Yeah, I, I don't expect religious purity from anybody. You know, I, right. I, I think I think that that's part of being an, a, a, a well-balanced adult is that you, you've got to say, like, look the person isn't going to a hundred percent align with you. And plus, right. you know, this W E F person, you know, you, she has all the appropriate pedigrees of somebody that you and I, somebody we wouldn't like, but at the right. same time, we don't know her. We don't know what right. she's like, you know, behind the scenes. And because I did hear, I, and I forget where I heard it, but she's basically like a Reagan Republican. Mm. Well, see, w w one of the interesting elements of this stuff that I've picked up on is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, the Democrats in your country have decided to pick a fight with every single person, right? Oh, they yeah. don't like anybody. They don't like the tech people. They hate themselves. They, don't like, they hate themselves. They hate, uh, and when they say, because um, they can't come out and say, we hate Republicans. What they do is they say, we hate white people, right? So that's like, that's like a false flag, right? It's like, oh, no, oh. They, they really do come out and say they hate Republicans. No, I... I I think you're undercharacterizing like the the amount of viciousness, you know, when they literally say that voting Republican is essentially uh, saying that you're a white Republican, uh, white supremacist. Yes, and that's, so this is what's interesting about it, right? So, so let's take this back to the Elon conversation and how we talk about uh, loops and, and and boundaries that you create for yourself, and and so first thing you do is you say, okay, uh, explain to me January sixth. Oh, that was that was 
you know, it was, it, was, it was a riot. And he said, well, explain to me the BLM riots in 2020. Oh, those were mostly peaceful. Ah, so I can say to you, January 6th was mostly peaceful. Right. But then that cognitive dissonance kicks in, right? So, so now here's an interesting element. They will say things like, oh, if you don't vote blue, you're voting against democracy. Yeah. Inherent to that particular logic is one party is good. One party should rule. Everything else is not democratic. Yep. The, the disconnect in the whole pursuit of all that. And I think people are starting to wake up from it to say, look, you know, anything that starts out with compassion as an intention is going to um, instantaneously attract at least 50% of the, of the, of the people around you. Cause some people are just naturally hardwired in that direction. However, as Dr. Peterson has pointed out, the, the sin of Eve was to show compassion to the, to the, to the venomous snake, right? Some, some ideologies are just venomous. And no matter how much you want to show compassion, that compassion is going to be weaponized against you. And I think it seems like we're at that tipping point where people are starting to wake up to the idea that wokeness, for all its virtues, when you do the math overall, it, you come out net negative, right? Yeah. And, and that comes across multiple dimensions, not just a singular dimension. And so to go back to Elon, the question you have to ask is, at the highest level of, of, of achievement, when you get to that state where the whole world knows you, uh, every single intelligence agency knows you, um, uh, you know, you have the media who basically since I, I would say roughly 2012, 2015, basically all their money went away and went to Google and Facebook. And so the easiest target was to go after Facebook, right? So you saw Zuck. And now he's becoming, you know, a BJJ expert and he's choking people out and he's running crazy miles. Uh, and <laughs> the guy's a beast. Into, right? So now you like, have to ask yourself, I, was he always a leftist or was he just captured in an I, environment where he couldn't help it? I, I wonder, this is, I don't know if you saw my tweet earlier about this, but like, I, I wonder what's going on with Zuck because all of a sudden he's not just training jujitsu. He's doing some unbelievable physical feats like Running with a twenty-pound pack, pull-ups with a twenty-pound vest, like yeah. he's got Goggins after him or something. <laughs> like, I forget the name of the test; I'd never heard of it before. But like, this is some serious stuff, right? So now here's the question, right? I, I, I started to think about this, and I remembered around two thousand and oh, let's say two thousand and seven and eight. Around that time, there was this um, prominent uh, tech blogger by the name of Vivek Wadwa. He's an mm -hmm. Indian guy. And he was the very first person that I noticed was pushing the whole, oh, uh, have you noticed that the, all the people presenting on um, Apple's stage are all men? They're all white men. And I was like, huh. So that's, one in my mind, the genesis of this whole nonsense that we're seeing now is back then. And so what happened in my perspective, and, 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 and this is just surely from an observation as an Afghan who watches what happens when politics becomes entangled with uh, a desire to loot the store, <laughs> is that um, the newspapers, which previously to get money, had to do lots of, you know, they had to invest a lot of money, and they usually had limited reach, but they were also able to gatekeep. In comes Facebook, Google, and what they could do is they could aggregate the news globally, and they could pre present it in one place at the same cost of yeah. building their actual product. So they were able to steal money very easily from the pockets of these media organizations. So now what did the media organizations do? Well, they said, we are now anti-big tech. It was cool. Tech was awesome when Obama used it to become president. 
But the minute the, the script gets reversed and the other guy uses it, all of a sudden tech is not cool anymore. So then what they started to do is they started to push this ideology and they started to force these companies to do these things that are obviously absurd at, at face value, which is that, oh, uh, diversity is our strength and all this nonsense. And I think that malware was pushed at the school levels, um, you know, at, at these various, you know, you had all these engineers, and then you hear them talk about this other stuff and you're like, wow, you don't even realize the malware that's running in your head. Yeah. And you have this bubbled sense of reality of how the world should be, but it's clearly not that way. And now you're in a position of relative power. And if there's enough of you inside an organization like Facebook or a Google or an Apple, they were going to, the management's going to have to start to look at this and say, huh, it looks like the attack dogs that we have brought in to, you know, to sort of mark our area safe. It's kind of like, you know, when you uh, paint that, uh, you know, BLM on your, on your uh, store, just so the riders won't break into your store, yeah. right? You're, you're kind of paying a homage to them just so that they can leave you alone. Eventually it turns on you, right? Yeah. Protein in scarce times, everybody starts to eye each other as protein. And so we're starting to witness that there's a, a break from this. I think people are starting to see the flawed thinking and the, and the horrific moral equivalence of what these guys are trying to do. And to go back and, to my question about Elon, do you think, because Elon went in there and cleaned house ish. He did. Right. He did. Like, I mean, he yep. clearly hasn't weeded it all out, um, mm. but he has demonstrated that you can, you can chop a tech company uh, such as Twitter can remove 80% of its workforce and it, might even function better i mean that like that has to be eye-opening to google and facebook and these other you know tech monstrosities and i mean and and, and here's another one like mm. amazon recently this is in the last week there were there was basically woke walkouts in seattle where mm. all these because they, they, they were all forced to come back to the office and now they're, oh, they're worried about that and they're yelling about the carbon footprint uh that, that that's being expanded and that, you know, it's basically Amazon isn't woke enough and everybody's like striking to an extent. Mm. Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my take on it. Again, uh, as what I, I always tell people, take everything I tell you with a big bucket of salt. Right. So um, what I started to notice was that um, Jeff Bezos stepped away. Right. Yeah. And uh, Sergey and Larry stepped away. Um, they, they already made their money. They don't need. They don't need to do any. Honestly, they could care less who's president. Sergey is like on. missing, or Larry. I forget which one. Larry, one of them, like, Larry. Yeah, Larry is seen angle Larry there, is like <laughs> has disappeared. Yeah, some, something is happening on that front, but uh, yeah. we're, not, we're not really sure. But but one of the interesting elements of it is that when they when these companies become so large that they're not recognizable to their founders, their founders step away. The ethos starts to change. And one of the elements that's that's fascinating about how all this stuff is starting to sort of unravel over time is that they are almost held hostage, but Elon had what we call, and I would say this directly to his face if I ever had a chance to meet with him, I'd say, you had the perfect opportunity for the perfect storm. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So the $44 billion that he spent to buy Twitter was not profit money from any of his businesses, right? That was just... Uh, yeah. ballooned up stock price based on how irrational the market was to relative to how well Tesla stock should be doing, all those other things. He essentially took free money from an exuberant market to purchase a product um, that had one thing that no other product on planet Earth has. It has all the influencers in one place, Yeah, right? 
you can't leave to even and, and we know this is funny because all the the people that the type of people whose politics uh, rub us the wrong way every single one of them every single day will will come at you for the first month and a half uh telling you how much they hate twitter and how fast they're moving to mastodon while they're saying it on twitter the yeah. irony has to be on a level that you can't even possibly fathom, right? Claire so Lehman's back on Twitter. <laughs> right, right. So when she started to notice traffic was dropping in her little uh, uh, puddle in, in, in Australia, decided, well, you know, maybe it's time for me to get back into the conversation. Because the thing is, you never want to leave the conversation. Even if uh, temporarily it goes in the direction that you may not agree with, uh, you, you have to participate in the conversation, sometimes just by listening to what other people are saying. You might hate so, a lot of people at the party, but it's the only party in town. Party in town, <laughs> correct. So, 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 to your original point, Elon comes in, and people are like, "Oh my God, he's such an idiot." I'm like, and, and credit to Mike Driver who brought this to my attention. He said, "That's not Elon's money. He took uh, irrational investor money and he bought something which gives him maximum leverage to be the marketing. Ma- uh, th- there is no greater marketing machine on planet Earth right now than Elon Musk. Yeah. Oh yeah. If he was to." If he was to accidentally retweet one of my uh, company tweets uh, or, or uh, one of your podcasts, it would blow up instantly, right? Yeah. He would immediately get like 100 million uh, views and listens and whatnot just because of what he was able to accomplish from it. And, and people are always like, well, you know, Elon doesn't spend money marketing Tesla. Well, it's because he's kind of built the brand around himself, right? right? So that whole idea of, 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 of doing it. Now, what gives Elon that capacity, which it doesn't lend itself to Sundar at Google, or Satya at Microsoft is because Elon's a founder. So he's a king from our previous conversation. He's not somebody who inherited the throne. He's an actual self-made king. Right. And all the people about his dad's emerald mine, like, please, right? I've tried to look into that many times. I'm like, okay, I don't see it. I don't know where this argument is coming from, but people always cry foul because X person is extraordinary at what they do. So looking at his decision-making and he said, okay, this is an opportunity to make money in a new direction. Maybe he sensed that the free money and all the low interest rates and all the, by the way, I don't know if you paid attention to this, but there's this uh, crazy amount of tweets going around about how all the numbers relating to unemployment and the, and the balance sheets and all that, those are all basically fictitious at this point. Oh yeah. So, right. So he started to sense that and said, maybe this is an opportunity to be the first to break in this direction. Normally, if you break first, you're going to get a, a baseball bat to the face, but if you're built, and clearly he's built in that in that way, where you could take that level of hatred uh, and venom and make it to the other side, all of a sudden you are now plowing for it to land in an area where nobody else thought was you know arable, right? So I think that he's shown to the to the rest of the world that you don't have to be this nonsense woke. The fact that eighty percent of their Twitter team got fired, and everybody kept. I remember all these jokes from all these mediocre. Uh, types that I know who are like, oh yeah, none of this. This is not how any of this works. Uh, you know that that meme that they talk about. None of this is, works the way you think it does. Meanwhile, Twitter was doing just fine during yeah. a World Cup, and now I guarantee you the the uh, Republican uh, debate is going to happen on Twitter, just because how much the media hates him. He's going to suck away all their um, power to exude influence over. He, he over, just over he just had a JFK uh, Jr. On was it face with him? Was it Robert RFK? Done? Yeah, yeah. Was it already on, or is it coming up? I I'm not sure. I got a set reminder thing, and it's like, but you know, we both know this is happening. Like right? this is a he he's going to be able to have. I mean, God, imagine he he had like Rogan like host a debate or something like that, or Tucker. Yeah. Jesus. Oh, 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the whole layer of, of that entire enterprise and how they've set up the, the gatekeeping that they used to have is completely collapsing in real time. That's on one front, which is fascinating. But the other front that's fascinating about it is he is making video a thing on Twitter. Yeah. And now, as a consequence of that, I don't know if you've noticed this, but apparently recently YouTube has changed his its position on whether you can debate the validity of the COVID, of the 2020, of the COVID stuff and yeah. the election stuff, which before they were like, oh, disinformation, you're banned. Yep. But now they're starting to notice, hmm, there's a lot of traffic being driven to Twitter. And now that he's making video a primary source of, 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 of content on Twitter, people are going to look at it and say, why should I come on YouTube when I can get, uh, you know, what do they call it? Content strike? What do they call that thing? Oh, the yeah, the strikes. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've gotten a warning already. For what? Um, I'm not exactly sure. I'm sure it was something to do with COVID, though. And and were you able to appeal to, about it or, or yeah anything? I appealed it and they denied it you know they don't give you any specifics or anything like that but I mean I it was a spaces that I was on with uh, Theo Jordan and you know I'm so somebody was saying some pretty wacky shit I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> but here's the fascinating thing right so so now think about this you had a conversation where you are not able to control whoever else is speaking whatever they say and as yeah. a consequence they, they they give you a strike but on Twitter you could. Not only can you reach a person, you could reach the person, right? You can literally tweet at Elon himself and say, like, I, I just noticed the most crazy thing that, that happened in this week, which amongst all the other crazy things that's happened this week was the whole Matt uh, Walsh's What is a Woman thing yeah. premiered on Twitter and how initially it was not allowed or whatever. And then eventually it became the watch thing on there. And I'm wondering if that was all orchestrated or if that happened on the fly i mean there are oh, i think i think involved. walsh got lucky there i think it was uh the greatest barbara streisand thing that could happen to him ever right so so you look at that and, and, you're, and now you're you know let's say you and i are running youtube and we're staring at this going okay this guy's gonna eat our lunch right um mm -hmm. first of all what he's done is he's basically trimmed all the fat from the organization our organization we wouldn't even know where to start because how bloated youtube must be at this point and if any move we make is going to turn into a crazy riot and we have to coordinate across eight different uh, companies because alphabet, whatever, right? And you're staring at this guy. He's like, this is one man wrecking ball. And he's basically wrecking our sandcastles that we built. On the other side, uh, you got Satya and uh, the OpenAI guys, and they're trying to come and eat Google's uh, search lunch. I haven't done search yeah. in Google in a long time. I stopped going to Stack Overflow completely. I rarely go there now because when you go there, it's always a snarky... Uh, derisive answer from a, some guy who's, um, you know, a shaman from some religious uh, sect of, of JavaScript. And he's like, I'm not giving the answers to this question. And so it's like, okay, that angle is basically going to be completely destroyed by OpenAI's ChatGPT. And Google search, the number of ads you're giving me is problematic. The number of answers that you're pushing, like, for example, there are some things, if you Google it, it'll literally tell you, oh, that's a, uh, uh it's 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 false information it's it's, it's you know they'll, they'll give you these weird screens where they're not actually going to give you the answer to the question you're asking about and so you're looking at that and saying okay what's happening on team blue which is picking fights with everybody is also happening within certain sectors of tech right so yeah. facebook is like you look at zuck and you say okay you had the opportunity to turn facebook into something much bigger than it is and the, the way you went about doing it was completely wrong Right. So you went and you became political. 
And if you had just taken the stance to be not political, you had the power to do that. The only person in possession of, of a voice large enough that if they came to you and they said, we want you to do this, regardless of which team comes to you to do that. And, and, I, and I say this as a person who hates both sides, just so everybody's clear. Um, if side A comes to you and says, we want you to do this, all you have to say to them is say, okay, I do this for you. And the next time when those guys are in charge and they want to come and they want to tell me not to do this to you, how would you like it? That's all you have to do, right? If, if, if I can put that answer in front of you, but then again, as we've seen with people who are so enamored with their own intellect, like Sam Harris, where they can actually intellectually justify silencing speech that they don't like because the person speaking it is, quote unquote, a deplorable is <laughs> one way to put it. You start to see how all these things are sort of weaving itself together. And at the same time, what's interesting is how much the New York Times, the Atlantic, are actually posting things like free speech is a problem, disinformation is an issue. They're tearing at the fabric of the American society, which is, in essence, destroying, I would say, and, and you know, this is just a rough estimate, the amount of division that's been created because of these narratives that are pushed out there is probably robbed America of at least a trillion dollars in potential wealth creation opportunities, also that the people who are running these organizations make a couple of billion. Right, so you talk about a parasitic um, problem to the uh, very essence of the United States. You have to look there and say, huh, you guys are basically at the point now where you are no longer flying private and having five-star meals and having one or two articles a week. Now you're so stuck in the clickbait game that you're willing to tear the fabric of the country from which you are able to operate just so you can get some extra cash. Right, so that when I don't know if you've watched that show, Succession, my, but, my wife it did. Right? I, I swear to you, I watched that. I'm like, I wonder if this is how the New York Times was run. And, and I... And I <laughs> you know that um, uh, Murdoch's, like, ex-wife or something, they just got divorced, I think, is, like, fourth. They had a uh, something in her divorce settlement that said she wasn't able to give information to writers of secession. Because they oh it was kind of based upon <laughs> that family. Right. See, see, this is what I'm talking about. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Sometimes fiction is, 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 is more apparent than truth. Right. So you look at these situations and you start to wonder about the state of tech and you throw AI into that mix. And then you throw into the mix about how I don't know if you paid attention to what's been happening uh, up north with, with Trudeau and how he's been mismanaging the country's affairs here. I mean, is there anything new? It's, yes, there's some new stuff in the sense that uh, there was reports from the intelligence community that there was election interference by China to make sure that he gets reelected and he didn't really they necessarily that public? get it Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they had the whole operation up there. There's, there's a couple of police stations apparently that are in Canada operated by the Chinese. That I Chinese, heard about. Right. So there are Chinese people here who have family back home and they're told don't go out and vote because they kind of know which way those guys are going to vote because your family back home is going to have some issues and whatnot. Oh yeah. And so, so there's, there's all sorts of, uh, Martin Bailey going on, right? So, so, so the Martin Bailey, just for for our, our listeners who may not know the, the term, is you're promised go to Harvard and you'll get educated like Eric Weinstein did. You show up to Harvard and you have Jacinda Ardern as one of your instructors. It's a complete bait and switch, right? Well, who's the Cindra Ardern? Jacinda Ardern is the ex prime minister of New Zealand that oh, missed lockdown oh. the whole world for for for, for oh, God knows when. 
Right. So so there's that element of it. And I think Lori Lightfoot, the Chicago. Lori Lightfoot also, just got a job with Harvard, too. Right. So so now you think about that. That is pure Mountain uh, 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 Bailey, right? So you're being promised AAA steak and you show up and it's fake meat. And yeah. the, the gap between those two things is uh, so laughably large that I, I think eventually the parents who are shelling out the kind of dough to have their kids into these institutions and having their kids come out radically hating their own parents and their own country is going to start to create a problem for those institutions where once they've destroyed that credibility, uh, there's no going back. There's no way you can, like, like I mean, clear-cut example, Bud Light has destroyed itself in, in the most spectacular fashion of anything I've ever seen. And I always tell people, like, you know, as a business person, uh, I hate both sides, so it's, it's cool. If they both hate me, it's okay. <laughs> it's not like I'm being favoritized to one side or other, but what I'm saying is if you get political as a, as a, as a company, as a product, here's what is guaranteed to happen. You're 100% going to offend 50% of your audience. There's just no reason for This is why you leave it alone, right? You, you, you don't get involved. You, you don't push any agendas. You say, look, we're in the business of selling you beer and our customers are from both sides of the aisle and we want to make sure everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. But now... Over the past 25 years that I've noticed, every country that is westernized is forcing all the companies to become politicized. And I think this is toxic. I think we need to get back to the grassroots operation of leave the politics to the politicians, leave the business to the business people, leave the teachers to teaching. Everybody should stick to their lane and not have politics be the driver for all of it. Hypothetically, would be nice. <laughs> Eventually, it would have to come to, to blows in that way, right? You, I mean, I, I imagine uh, as your child is, is is coming of age and you're thinking about schools, what would have been unconscionable to think about 25, 30 years ago about maybe I don't want to send my child to school is now like, oh. hey, top of the list here, right? Yeah, I, I have. I mean, I I spend a disproportionate amount of time thinking about how to keep my child to going to public schools, going to these um, uh, ideologically captured universities for exactly the reasons that you say is that I don't want them to be taught to, you know, hate their, her dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, like, and, and, and B, you'd have to basically send them to MMA camps first, just so they're safe on their 100%. way to and back. Right. So yeah. we can't have a society where this is the, 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 the cost of, of participation has become so high that people are now just naturally revolting. In fact, I saw today that Italy is pushing a family pride event. So people with families can come out and celebrate as a backlash to the whole um, uh, alphabet community's overreach of went from, I'm pretty sure it was a weekend to a week to a month. Now it's going to become God knows what. Oh, it's all year long now, really. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, like it's, it's, it's fascinating that the number of people who are, and, and I always tell people like, let's, let's you and I sit down and think about it from the perspective of team blue. Right. We're team blue. So first thing is we, we don't accept religious precepts and God and whatnot. Okay. So that's one chunk of your audience. Second chunk of your audience is the people who want to have abortions. So now you always have to ask a question. Are you pro-abortion? Yes or no? And the answer person is like, yes. So, okay. So the next question I'd have to ask you is how many abortions are okay? Is one okay or is nine okay? Like there's a number where you're like, hey, you're kind of pushing the boundaries here, right? Like, 
So we'll go down that road and you get a specific answer. And then you say, okay, let's imagine that you eventually decided to keep one of these children that you had. And now you want to engage in uh, gender affirming care, right? So the self-terminating cycle that you've enveloped your camp around yeah. is so blatantly obvious that a moron could see it. Like this is not a strategy that's going to be long-term viable because guess what? The vast majority of the immigrants that I know Afghans, Filipinos, Chinese, Indians, Jamaicans, uh, Koreans. There is no room for these conversations at those tables no. ever. No. Right? So I don't know what the strategy is here. Um, but the, the, the fact that they've... The, yeah, the, 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 blue, the blues don't even contemplate these things. I've brought it up and I watch them go. It, it's like... it's. It's a moment of complete cognitive dissonance. Like it's something that like they've never even has never even crossed their mind. Fascinatingly, you, the same, along the same line of uh, thinking, you you ask somebody who's a big somebody who always quotes the New York Times for you as a source of, of authority. You say to them, "Hey, um, so Russia's bad, right?" Like, yep, okay. And then you say, "Well, here's a time when a New York Times writer literally covered for Stalin while he was." committing genocide against his yeah. own people oh that, that, that that's it's like it, it doesn't click like the, the, yeah. their memory is so short that what happened literally you know two years ago three years ago is i, I remember and, and, I, and i remember this very very specifically because when romney was debating obama obama had this funny one-liner oh uh governor the 80s called they want their foreign policy back or something like that and everybody laughed and it was because uh, when when uh, uh, Obama became president, there was a scene where Sergey Lavrov and Hillary Clinton had that Staples reset button, right? Oh, we're going to reset relations with Russia, and Russia is great, and all that stuff. And then those very same people are now with the Ukrainian flag, hating on Russia like it's it's, it's the worst country on earth. Mm. And I always say, I'm like, look, I'm not a fan of Russia. I'm not a fan of Ukraine. I'm, I'm not really a fan of any of these places because every place is complicated within their own intertwined history. There's no real good or real bad. I don't like it when people get invaded. But at the same time, do I really want to risk World War III over a country that gave birth to the Russian uh, ethnic uh, identity to start with? No, not really. I don't like World War III. I don't like nuclear weapons. So I'm, I'm anti-war. That's always been my pr go-to standard for assessing how good a person is because i always say i don't care which party you're from as i just want to see that you're not interested in doing harm to others right first do no harm but here you're seeing team blue they've basically strangled disney at this point disney's about to i, I would be very surprised if they survive the next five years I, I saw pride child's wristbands in walgreens down the street from me that were disney branded yeah, so there's that, which is, uh, okay, you're pushing that angle. Then you have the other angle of, I noticed that um, I was walking by uh, a TV station uh, near the airport, and they had um, the CNN anchor talk about how the alt-right has attacked Target, uh, <laughs> and again, it's LGBT, but they didn't really contextually define what was the thing that caused everybody to be upset. Yeah. Right? So it's like, you know, you know we're lying. We know you're lying. You know we know that you know that we know that you're lying. It, the layers of deception. But we're lying are, anyway. <laughs> we're lying anyway, right? And, and it's kind of like the whole idea of these uh, TV shows with these messed up families where it's like, you know I know that you know that I know that I cheat on you. And you know that I know that you know that I know that you cheat on me. But 
we're in public, so we're going to pretend like we don't cheat on each other and uh, we're morally upstanding people and we're really not. And, 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 and then you start to see that um, the unfortunate thing that, that I keep coming back to is that deception is Darwinian and the number of lies that we keep uncovering at scale. They're not minor white lies. They're literally entire tranches of lies. I didn't know this, but uh, did you know that when Obama was handling the financial crisis, that when the S&P tried to downgrade the credit of the United States, that they actually got uh, a metaphorical gun to their head saying, if you do this, we're going to make sure that you guys don't exist anymore. Oh, Larry Summers probably did that. Right. So, (laughs) So now you're looking at this going, huh, everything here is built on a lie. I'm yeah. still looking for that one source of truth, one place where we could say, hey, at least this isn't corrupted. At least this has sustained its integrity from what we thought it was when it was founded till now in the age of clickbait and uh, shortened attention spans. And as Marshall McLuhan said, you know, uh, at the speed of light, everything is instantaneous anyway. Why do I have to bother reading? Why do I have to attach nuance and context? You know, why can't I just say Jeffrey is a white cis hetero enemy of all brown people so i shouldn't be talking to him right <laughs> so my thought process is why, why why can't i just jump to that conclusion right so this is this is the world that I, I i feel like i was born in the wrong place at the wrong time i don't fit into this place at all uh, you know at ace i think our solution is we really just need more indian american managers at the executive level they seem to be sorting everything out for their tech companies i'm really impressed with them <laughs> well you know what it is it's like it's hard to yell racist but now they're even trying that uh you, you know, uh, white supremacy doesn't necessarily equate to your skin color, right? So they're <laughs> they're going they're even going that far. Like I'm pretty sure, uh, if if people heard our last two com- our last conversation, this one, I'm sure they would pretty happily con- uh, come to the conclusion that I am indeed a white supremacist, right? <laughs> Which well, you you have Hispanic, you know, white supremacy is really taking off in the off in, in the Hispanic, Hispanic community. community. I hear yeah. these days. Yeah, anything to do with with uh, merit and success, and not the uh, uh, elevation of, of victimhood and injustice and all those other elements that are out there, is immediately attributed to white supremacy. Well, what's what's right? crazy is is the, the 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 woke the woke side themselves are pushing things like meritocracy, showing up on time, um, high achievement are white supremacy values which is just the most nuts racist thing that I've ever heard. So you hear that. Imagine if somebody believes that, right? Like imagine if somebody like takes them seriously at face value and then goes to themselves. Well, those things seem like really good things. I I value people who are believe in meritocracy, showing up on time, uh, uh, you know, achieving so on and so forth. I guess I'm a white supremacist. Yeah. I mean, o- overcoming obstacles. How dare you, right? How dare you uh, not not be uh, uh, groveling at the feet of the, of the state uh, to, to help fix the transgressions against you because you weren't born a billionaire. And so so I, I think the level of madness uh, has has I always hope it's peaked. But then you see something new and you go, well, I guess we're we were not even near the bottom yet. Um, so so I, I look around and I, and I think to myself about tech and um, and how much tech influences culture and how much culture is hijacked by ironically enough the new york times has more white writers complaining about um non-white people's uh, voices being heard than any place else that i can think of 
uh, all these places that push these these agendas, if you go and look at their staff, it's mostly white, hyper-educated, um, you know, second-generation heirs to the throne type people. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you start to wonder, is it the corrosive nature of inherited wealth or is it wealth itself that does this to you? Hmm. Right? So, so there, there are people who are adamant team blue. Like, for example, Mark Bainoff, the Salesforce guy, Team mm-hmm. Blue, no matter what. Uh, same with uh, the LinkedIn guy. Uh, what was his name? Reef Hod- Is it Hoffman? No. Reed mm-hmm. Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these people live in San Francisco and apparently are oblivious to the Team Blue strategy to solve these problems. But they're forever Team Blue. And the minute you bring up a Team Blue problem, like, well, you know, how come 27 of the 30 highest uh, states with crime are democratically controlled? And the immediate re- rebuttal is, well, how come... Black people aren't doing better in Mississippi, which is government red controlled. It's like, okay, we can address that issue after, but why don't you address this issue first? And then I will address your other issue because we can say, okay, you take the honest moment to reflect on the strategy that you think is worth pursuing from Team Blue, and you look at the results that you've produced as a consequence of that, and you do me the solid of not creating new straw man reasons for why your failures keep reflecting your policies. Right. So you don't say like uh, I'll, I'll give you a color cut example. There's this uh, um, uh, odious man, Roland Martin, who was on the Patrick David Bett uh, podcast. And he was obsessed about systemic racism and how black people's homes were undervalued by the real estate agent. And therefore, they weren't able to capitalize on the wealth of their home and they weren't able to succeed in life because systemic racism and uh, PDB just basically let him off the hook. I would have been like, okay, hold on a second. If I'm a rich black man, i.e. I'm LeBron James, this is an opportunity for me. This is an arbitrage opportunity for me. I could sweep into these neighborhoods where they're supposedly sure. undervalued. I can pay slightly more than what they've been promised, but still under market value, and I could capitalize on the difference. So if systemic racism is a real thing, the market is one of the fastest ways to correct this. Because if you undervalue something, right, somebody else will snap it up, and they'll turn a profit onto it. And all of a sudden, that moron who showed up and tried to undervalue it realizes, oh, look, we just lost all this opportunity to make money from this because we were being stupid and racist. Similarly, like I have a tech company, and if I want to hire a woman and I could convince her to take 77 cents on the dollar, I'll fire every man on my team, right? I'll get all the, the same labor at, at a 30% discount, and I'll defeat my, 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 my competitors instantly. Unfortunately, reality doesn't work like that. Right. Reality always says to you that your assumptions are incomplete. Not only are they incomplete, sometimes they're completely wrong. Right. So we're seeing this and you start to think to yourself, what is a person like Roland Martin's uh, drive? What has possessed them to think this foolishly? Right. And, 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 and you naturally, unfortunately, always come back to, oh, that's what they're paid to do. Right? That's how he makes his money. Yeah. Right. And and I'll give you another example. And this is going to sound controversial, but hey, that's what we're here for. You look at Jeff Bezos giving, I think, uh, Clown Prince Van Jones from CNN $100 million for his whatever organization. I look at that and I say, you know, if the white patriarchy is as evil as you think it is, um, maybe they're paying you that money so that you'll defend them when the mob comes after them. So you're basically a useful idiot. Your $100 million insurance policy 
against the woke backlash that may come to Bezos's door. Protection money is what you're suggesting. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not suggesting. I'm saying it right out loud. And if you're if you're Ben Jones and you have any self respect and and self awareness, the first question you have to ask yourself is: Did I just sell out? Because if I'm really a believer in my cause, did I just sell out for some easy money, or Am I foolish enough to think that this person actually believes what it is I have to sell them? And, and, I, and I have to say, I've read all the uh, letters that uh, people write about how Jeff runs his business and how you show up with a PowerPoint that doesn't listen to you. And if you haven't thought your solution through top to bottom, he'll cut you to pieces in his meetings. Mm-hmm. And that's how he became the world's wealthiest man, because that's how he built Amazon. I have to say that I've listened to Van Jones enough to know that he wouldn't stand a chance if he had to rigorously defend himself and yeah. his ideas to somebody like jeff right so so i'm looking at this as an observer and i could say this you can't i can because you know i'm not your your skin complexion even though i may have i may be a greater white supremacist than you are you're not seeing his picture well actually i'm gonna have the cartoon picture of you up so yes ace is a brown man i am a brown man i'm an afghan and and i I, although as we've already established i am a white supremacist um I can clearly say that if you're, if I'm Van Jones and he gives me that money, I'm going to think twice about that. All right. So, so now they're there. And, and it's sort of like the whole idea of reparations. I'll, I'll get into that with you. We've had that conversation in Afghanistan about what is the, cause there's five tribes that all go to war with each other. So there's always killing and, and slaughter and rape and torture and all that good stuff that comes from a shithole country. Yes, it is a shithole country. And, if you have a problem with it, I will happily book a ticket for you to go out there and enjoy a, a Sunday afternoon with the Taliban. Um, but the, the idea of reparations is interesting. And, and it's interesting because you have to say to yourself, okay, I wasn't directly impacted, but I'm willing to say that the pain and anguish of my ancestors is worth $10 million. So you're willing to put a price tag on that? Okay. That says more about you than it does anything else. That's very informational because some things are priceless. Right, and if you're willing to sell out your ancestors for pick a number, any number, it's instantaneously should make your skin crawl if you have a moral compass of any sort. Because that's a conversation I'd be like, there's no amount of money that you could pay. Like, if I was to, God forbid, kidnap your daughter, torture her, and kill her, I don't think there's a price you'd be willing to accept for me to say that it's okay. It's interesting, you know. The, the, I mean, the U.S. government did this in Afghanistan, I think uh, probably also Iraq, is when they would have um, civilian casualties, they would, uh, there would be payouts to the families. Um, yep. You know, and, and part of me is like, look, you know, you can't bring the kid back, but at the same time, you can, you can, you can ease some of the other suffering a bit. And I don't necessarily fault those families from taking the money. Um, neither do I, but I always have to ask you, right? It's like, how much are you willing to pay? How much are you willing to accept that I did all these horrible things to this person? What's the price? That's all yeah. I want to know. Because once I know the price, we have a different game. We have a different calculus at play. Yeah. Right? So I, I always tell people, it's, it's not about, the, I'm not advocating for it. I'm just showing you the natural conclusion of the game you're opening yourself up to. Because now you're putting a dollar figure on suffering and pain that's, in my opinion, not something you could really put a dollar value on and it's selfish for it's for your gains. It's not for anything else. It's just, uh, let's admit it. You're going to take that money so you can do whatever it is you want to do with it. 
you're not going to take that money to go help a, a shelter in Greece by, by the man named Takis who puts videos on the dodo. Right. right. So, so, so the natural inclination is if you are opening that door and, and the, you're willing to take that money, what's going to happen is you're going to degrade both yourself and the person giving you that money. Right. That's the natural problem of it. And I think, I think, you know, uh, one way that people say you, you want to have something at stake, you know, say, uh, you know, pain, somebody needs to pay a penalty of sort, but benefiting yes. from it is, is morally questionable. So I think I, in some ways, some people, when they are put in situations like that, will take the money and give it to uh, a charity or something like hopefully, that. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully that, that, that's fine. But the vast majority of people aren't going to do that. Right? right. So that's what I've noticed now, not to, to bring it back to Afghanistan, what the Americans did when they engaged and actions that were indiscriminate and they killed civilians as they essentially sowed the ground with the seeds of their own destruction because they, they covered it with so much blood that they had no sympathy for them. You, 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 you don't show up to a country that like that with the size of the military and your might that you have and lose because you are inferior fighters. You lose because you lost the moral authority on the ground, which yeah. you spoke and st- stood on. Right. So if the Americans showed up, and their actual approach to this was, look, we don't want to be here. We're here because these people who have taken over your country are parasites. By the way, we're going to just admit to the fact that we funded the Mujahideen while you guys are fighting the Soviets. So these, these creations are essentially our creations. So we're going to first of all admit that. right? That you, that's how you start the conversation. You say, okay, before we build a new nation, we have to address the nation to be destroyed. And as we helped to rebuild Afghanistan into what we think is going to be a prosperous, peaceful nation, let's put all the facts on the table. Let's acknowledge all the mistakes that we've made in the past. Let's be transparent about the actions we're going to take going forward. And let's hold accountability as the highest stature. Now, here's an example of, of where this makes a difference. So I have family members in various um, provinces. And the elders will always tell you this. If you... Jeffrey showed up as an American soldier and you engage in indiscriminate acts of violence, having you as the soldier who acted in that manner and your commander who okayed it be punished severely by the law to mete out justice is far more acceptable than to give money for the, for the, for the pain and suffering that you caused. And that's the difference. Yeah. Right? So, so if you buy your way out of it, it's like your kid, you know, your, your Jackie Chan, unfortunately, the kid's a drug addict and, he, and he's terrible. And every time he's in trouble, you buy him out of trouble, you're making a situation worse. Right? So these things sort of tend to tie in together, which is that your moral authority should not have a price attached to it. And then, That's the thing. And then you end up with Hunter Biden. You, exactly. And this is, this is the, 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 so the problem on that front. I mean, I can't imagine the number of horrible, disgusting things that had to be done to cover up for all the stuff that he's been engaged in. And you could say, you know, he's a byproduct of a, of a, of a power-hungry person who, from the age of 29, became a senator. And if he had anything of value to say, we would have heard it till now. And if he had any accomplishments to speak of, we would have known about it till now. But nonetheless, because he was a byproduct of that environment, a significant portion of the problems with him could be attributed to the lifestyle that he was surrounded by. Now, he should be held accountable. And if anybody pulled strings on his behalf, should also be 
brought to justice so that we can show the transparent reason why there's a trust built into the fabric of the American society, which is to say that nobody's above the law. And that's the part that they, 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 like my friends keep missing is that the reason your country is so beloved is because when we look at your country and we look at Afghanistan, we say our stuff is very corrupt. We literally have to, you know, we get pulled over by Taliban and we have to bribe them to let us through. Your country doesn't do that. So we assume that your country is so much better than ours. But then we find out that your stuff behind closed doors is a lot worse than ours because there's yep. much more money and blood being washed back and forth than we ever could possibly imagine. Right? So, so the moral decay starts to show itself in many places. The, the cultural decline, the fact that your beloved institution is willing to give Lori Lightfoot uh, room to come in and teach anything other than uh, the only thing she's qualified to teach, in my opinion, is to teach you how to grift for money because that's all she's done. Right? She, you, you ask anybody who's in Chicago, people who are there, her skin color aside, her policies, her, her, her actual accomplishments, nothing to speak of. Yeah. Oh, right. I, I, I mean, she she is ridden. She has uh, uh, been the mayor and the largest expansion of crime. And and I, I mean, Chicago since you know, the prohibition days, from I can tell. And and here's here's what I want to do for your listeners who may get upset about us com uh, having this conversation. They want proof. Well, what has she done that's so bad? Well, here's a clear cut example. There's a video of her claiming that the Uber driver who picked her up and dropped her off to a particular event she was attending uh, did some horrible stuff. And he actually had the entire ride recorded and he had everything on camera and he had uh, the paper receipts to, to prove that she's actually lying. And that's a mayor lying about an Uber driver, right? So if they're willing to- What, that, what did she accuse of, him of? She accused him of, of being rude, of being, um, uh, uh, I think it was, hostile toward her and how she didn't uh, he didn't come to pick her up and all that stuff so there's a video on youtube and, and the reason i found that about it is because the great and hilarious comedian tim dylan uh he's basically built a cottage little uh persona to, to mock her for, for this. i love he tim has dylan. it on his he's so funny so he had uh he has a whole youtube bit around how terrible Lori lightfoot is and and he sprinkles in uh bits of her actual activities that she's partaken in to highlight that this is the absurdity of where we are at, uh, as a country. And I'm wondering how AI being trained on all this is going to turn out. Yeah. I mean, I, I have absolutely explored the AI um, with, you know, some controversial things and yeah, it, 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 you can absolutely see it's a uh, uh, leftist bias very, very clearly. That see, this is, this is the part that you, you, you start to think about it and you say, okay, this is going to be a self-terminating strategy because yeah. I engage with OpenAI specifically on code. The reason I do that, and I don't ask it anything else, is because the code either compiles and runs or it doesn't, yeah. right? So I have, a, I have an, at least a yardstick from which I can measure its answers. Now, when it comes to other stuff, here's what's going to happen. You're going to push a whole bunch of woke capitalist ideas with your AI and somebody like Elon's going to notice the opportunity to, Hey, what if we just tell the truth? Right? What if we just yeah. say that according to the entirety of Western knowledge, all our encyclopedias and all our science journals and all our recorded history and all our experiences that we actually happen to share across the planet, this is what a woman actually is. Right. 
Yeah. If you do that, the competitive advantage you gain overnight will force the other guys to say, hey, you know, yeah. this filter we're putting on this thing, it's not working out. Yeah. I mean, a couple of one of the topics I explored with ChatGPT was um, comparing, contrasting uh, uh, euthanasia programs in Germany in the 1930s versus Canada's programs now. And it was it was quite fast. I mean, the, to its credit, the one major uh, thing that Canada has going on is that the euthanasia program, the MAID program, um, is uh, voluntary as far as I understand it, where 1930 Germany was not voluntary. So very important distinction there. But it was it was pretty incredible to see it bend over backwards uh, to explain that Canada's program is absolutely ethically, um, you know, high ethical standards. Um, you mean it follows the science? And if it's scientifically based, <laughs> and this, it was, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I, it, it had, you know, it, it was persuasive in a serious way on, on, on some significant differences there. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to go so far as to say that, like, the Canada is similar to Nazi Germany in the in that way, um, but it, it really bent over backwards to insist that it was an ethical, highly ethical, and that, and also when I pressed it on the point that it was expressing an opinion, not fact, when it said that, like mm. um, it, it really wasn't able to um you know it it was saying that it was not uh giving in an opinion of sorts it was um it was it was just repeating uh its understanding of like the, the knowledge that it had because it doesn't have opinions as a large language model of, of course of course yeah, you, there's, there are always shields you can hide behind right yeah and, and the shields are are bludgeons that you can actually smack people over the head with the perfect example these days is the science i follow the science yeah if i took your rights away as a human being so be it um right so the the whole uh enterprise of anything to do with actual real life engagement with other human beings on good faith terms has become the exception not the norm it used to be the other way around i remember succinctly as a Maybe I was a child and I was naive and I wasn't exposed to it, but the vast majority of times that you actually were involved in altercations or deception or, or manipulation was very far and few between. And these days, it's very few far between exceptions where you were engaged in good faith. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know how that happened. Uh, I just know it's not sustainable. And I know the fact that people can't speak their minds because they're afraid of being canceled is part of that problem. Right? Which is why I'm willing to tell you everything I'm telling you. I'm not filtering any of my thoughts at this point. I'm just, and, and somebody's going to come at me tomorrow or five years from now or 20 years from now. And I'm going to yeah. say what any human being has ever said in history. Based on the information I had at the time, these are yep. the conclusions I drew. If they're incorrect, so be it. But they're my conclusions and I stand behind them because for the world to make any sense in, uh, in, the, in the world we want to create, for it to have a chance at being not self-terminating, we have to have the moral courage to at least say what we're thinking, even if it's wrong. Hopefully it's 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 not that wrong. And if it is, it can be corrected, which I hope that the kind of person I am, the way I was raised, that if somebody were to show me the error in my thinking, yeah. that I'd be wise enough to say, yeah, you know what? I thought that, but then I realized that it's not that and it's this. And and one of the things that they've even gone after that particular road, and, and I'll tell you how they did that. This grotesque, 
skin crawling statement of you should go educate yourself. <laughs> like, do you like the amount of rage that it, that it yeah. induces in me when I hear somebody say something like that? And I'm like, you know, if the person you're speaking to and you had to sit in a room and we had to just basically write down everything, you know, and we have to compare them, you wouldn't last half a second in terms of the amount of knowledge that, that person consumes and knows versus you. Plus, let's talk about accomplishments. Right. So when I hear that, like they've literally made wanting to get better as a person, a negative thing. I have to go educate myself. Says who? Says what? This is life. You're constantly educated. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're educated. And, 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 you're, and for somebody to stand there and morally preen as if they're the source of all that is known uh, truth and wisdom and enlightenment to condescendingly say that to another human being. Good God. Like you're, you're, you are the person who would be one of the henchmen that Stalin would have standing next to and one picture and in the very next picture, you would be the guy in the gulag because you didn't laugh at one of his jokes. Like that's the kind of disgusting streak of arrogance that you're displaying when you say Yeah, like I that. mean, and that really is a point that Solzhenitsyn, I'm going to butcher that word, the author of the Gulag Archipelago makes in terms of the importance of speaking the truth and yes. that, you know, it, 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 it a functioning society requires people who are willing to stand up and and speak the truth in the face of immense social pressure otherwise now i also have no desire to be uh, uh socrates um and right. you know i mean it, I, at some point it is like give me the hemlock let's just do this but uh, you know <laughs> i i also uh you know have no desire to be to be a martyr in that particular way either um, no not see this is why we jump around to multiple topics right so so the yeah. thing is it's like there's not a hill i'm willing to die on i'm just an observer i'm yeah. here with a pair of binoculars um, it's like that Twitter meme, right? Where a bunch of people are fighting and there's a guy on the hill just watching. I'm just watching. And I'm willing to say that, like, and, I, and just so that people are like, oh my God, he's so anti-Team Blue. I'll give you Team Red's flaws instantaneously. Team Red's flaws are when they become overly religious to the point where they exclude everything outside of their religion. Mm. And so that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a Taliban move right there, right? Don't do that, right? Yeah. As much as you can believe in the in your faith and your your uh, uh, belief in the Bible, that's great. But the minute you become Taliban-like with it, you're instantly going to turn everybody off. So that's that's one thing. The second thing that they, they pursue with it is the inability to be slightly open to any new ideas. Right. So it's this whole constant idea that tax cuts are always a good thing. And uh, I, I'm not saying they're a bad thing or a good thing. I'm saying that that's the position. If you hold that position, it's always a good thing. Then you're going to get into a situation where you have to ask yourself, why do you believe that to be true? Yeah. Right. So, and and when Team Red is virulently um, uh, homophobic, yet their their members of Congress get caught in bathroom stalls, uh, or they don't say anything about the the church priests being abusive to children, so there's daggers to throw every each direction, right? Well, it's and, like and, you you know, the, if you wanted the the right or whatever is intolerant of certain fringe elements for the mer moral purity. Uh, reasons that you're describing and I, I i feel like you know to to channel my inner jocko willink there's a dichotomy here right you yeah. you you have to acknowledge that there are going to be fringe elements and they are going to exist but yes. what you and, and and you need a degree of empathy and tolerance for them 
um, mm -hmm. while at the same time resisting the movement and the push to uh, uh, move them into the center and to make and right. to normalize them. Um, and, right. and that's that's when I end up having uh, an issue. And this is like it's like the pride stuff. It's like, yeah, there's going to be gay, they're gay people. They're always have yep. been. There always will be. But yep. but having a year long, month long, what have you celebration where you you represent children that this is a uh, a superior because anytime that you have a celebration of things, the reason you celebrate them is because you want to communicate to people that this is a way to emulate. Um, yes. and, and, and I, I don't feel like taking, I don't want there to be, I like some punk rock and heavy metal, but I also think that punk rock and heavy metal are more fringe stuff, right? Like you don't, right. you don't want all the kids saying that I want to be um, the punk rock rebels. Um, yeah. You, you, you need, you know the stuff that should be in the center the things that we should be celebrating are things like family and community and achievement um yep. you know and and being compassionate and, and tolerant people but a, a tolerance that keeps the fringe elements you know not as a all-encompassing part of your image right like yep you we, we we we're all sinners right we all make mistakes we all have like you know we all we all have a bit of uh you know i certainly do a bit of the weird and uh, uh, the weird and the bad but yep. i i don't want that's not the part of me that i want to hold up and display <clears throat> in public and make as an example to be copied by everybody yeah, and, and I think I can sort of boil it down to this based on everything you just said. See, the whole idea of justice is what the left pushes, and the whole idea of judgment is what the right pushes. But they have to be compatible, judgment before justice. I have to be able to judge what it is you're doing yeah. before I can tolerate what it is you're doing. I have That's to right. see the consequence of what your actions are before I can tolerate them. I'm not going to tolerate them just because. I'm going to judge what does your action entail as a second order, third order effect before I can tolerate it? And that's the key. But you got to be able to judge before you tolerate. And justice cannot come until there's judgment made first. And they don't want that judgment part. Who are you to judge? How dare you judge me? You know, you don't right. know me. Only God can judge me. This is the rebellious anthem of the teenage mindset that says that they know better than everybody else. And I say to them, Look, there's room for that. As long as the activity you're engaged in is not harming others and it harms just you directly, we'll let you judge because nature will judge you. Nature does. Nature does not mess around. Yeah. Right. So, so for, for this whole idea of, you know, compassion and tolerance and all that stuff, that has to come after the judgment. Otherwise, you're done. Because yeah. I'll give you an example. We're a tribe. You and I are living in the same group of people. You have your family. I have mine. We're living together and there's a judge, there's a, there's a stranger walking toward us. Now we have an option at play here. Option one, kill on sight. All right. Mm -hmm. Option two, bring him in, let him eat, you know, give him some food, give him some water, give him some rest. If he's got any injuries, heal him up. And maybe he'll share with us the, the insights of his tribe, or maybe he kills us in our sleep. All right. So what do you do in that situation? Well, it always depends on 
which one of those two priorities you put first? Do you put the compassion first or do you put the judgment first? Now, the way you do that rationally is you say, I have to survive and my family has to survive and Jeffrey's family has to survive first. That goes first. Right? So the judgment call has to come in. We don't know who this guy is. Maybe his tribe kicked him out because he's a murderer. We don't know. We don't know anything about this person. We just know he's walking toward us. He looks injured. Maybe he's a sage. Maybe he's Socrates. Maybe he's Jesus. But more than likely, he's Marilyn Manson. Right? We don't know. So how about we say, hey, here's a place we can give you and we can provide you with some food and some water and we can get into conversations, but you're going to have to stay here, quarantine this person out, right? Because again, we don't want to bring him into the midst of our tribe because we don't know what you're introducing into that system. And so this whole mindset is, I think, where the flaws start to come in, which is why you have to accept everybody for everything. Oh, they've been persecuted. They don't have a safe space. They don't feel like they can. I don't know about you, but there are not many safe spaces on, on planet Earth. You, you think they are, but they are actually aren't because nature isn't built that way. So the idea to homogenize the entire planet by creating safe spaces for everybody and everything, you're going to start to run into the wall of, well, the safe space you created for that person is now infringing on this person's ability to speak. Yeah. So what, what, what did you actually do here? Right? You created, your, you twisted yourself into a pretzel, and now you have a convoluted mess in front of you. Why? Because you just refuse to exercise good judgment. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that that's a hundred percent correct. Like you, 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 you have, you have to be, you, you want to set a standard of reciprocity with people that you encounter as much as you can so that they will, you, they can expect your people, you know, when your people are known that they, they will treat you well as you treated them well, but you have to also be cautious towards people who, um, do not, have that standard and who will take advantage of you you know there's there's this great you know game theory thing it's like if you um if you want to find you know i think it's like the iterative prisoner's dilemma it might be called yeah yeah where they found the optimal solution to um it is like you know if if you cooperate everybody gets more if you both cheat everybody gets less but if one person cheats uh, one person cooperates and one person doesn't cooperate. The non-cooperator gets, you know, more and uh, the cooperator gets penalized. Right. So right. it's like, how do you run a program or a protocol that says like um, to encourage the optimal solution for everybody, which is everybody <clears throat> cooperating? Well, mm-hmm. it's you start off cooperating and as soon as somebody else doesn't cooperate, you don't cooperate for a while. But then right. you go back, You if they cooperate again for a while, you go back to cooperating, right? right. So, right. And, and and it really, I, I, and while it is just a, it's just a model, it's a, it's a, it's a way it's to a, think. It's yeah. a math, it's a game, right? I yep. do think yep. it has a very good relationship to real life where in terms of an optimal strategy, because you, and I think we've talked about this before that like, you know, capitalism and business is 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 not so much about competition it's about cooperation it's about and it's it's the ability to cooperate effectively with the most number of people in the most effective way and so you know billionaires people like peter thiel 
uh, people like Elon Musk, you know, Satya and, you know, the, the, the CEOs of these major corporations, what they've figured out is to how to have the most cooperation going between the people that they work with and their customers. Yep. And, and that makes for the most uh, profitable and rewarding <laughs> organizational outcomes. Um, yep. It's not it. it so I, 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 so I, what I've realized in, in my contemplation of these ideas is that the idea of um, capitalism being really a, while it is in essence, it's a competitive, it is, mm -hmm. that is not the defining characteristic of, of, of successful uh, uh, businesses. It, it's your ability to cooperate. And I would probably be doing a lot better in life if I had figured that one out a lot earlier, but <laughs> Well, see, to, to, to give that uh, particular take uh, some flavor and some meat onto it, I like to propose the following um, thought experiment, right? The thought experiment being that there are phase change events that actually can take your assumptions and either collapse them on themselves, i.e. a black hole type event mm -hmm. where the space for options are so limited that you, if it's me uh, being dead or me being judged by my 12 peers, you're going to be... Uh, in the ground, and I'm going to take my chances with my 12 peers, right? Or it's a matter of time, right? So if you if you reverse it back to the distance when 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 the decision was made to 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 pursue a particular strategy, assumptions again fall apart. So here's here's where I would add an addendum to what you just said, most of which I agree with. The problem is we are shaded by our Bayesian inferences from our priors, right? So if you and I engage in a strategy of mutual cooperation and uh, the retaliatory option of not cooperating in the event that you uh, cheat against me, yeah. this has a simple but flawed assumption built into it, which is that the moment I cheat, the cheat is so small that you can recover from it. What mm -hmm. if my cheat is yeah. so big that you die from it? Yeah. Right? And, and, and I'll give you an example of where this whole idea collapsed. Um, there was this notion that if we just play nice with Putin and we just bring him into the, you know, family of nations that we would all sing kumbaya and reset relations. And as they've learned, that's not actually how he thinks, right? Similarly with Hitler, similarly with Xi Jinping. Yeah. So there are certain instances where the mere risk of what you're willing to cooperate on is opening you up to destruction. Yep. Right. So, so you have to be uh, vigilant in what you open yourself up to while you're engaging in cooperation. And so I think about it this way. As I come onto your show, <clears throat> my risk profile is somebody takes a snippet of what we have to say and they try to make me famous for it and they try to cancel, right? Completely. Of the 50,000 things we've said already, I'm sure there's five that you could do that with right now. Yep. So my risk profile is I have a small company. I'm starting it up. It's just me and my, my, my teammates and we're trying to get somewhere and automatically we've alienated a whole bunch of people and we become famous for the wrong reasons. My reward is that I've been able to communicate my values and hopefully that comes across to a larger scope of the audience to say, you know, I may not agree with him, but at least I see where he's coming from. And so I take that consequence and I say, I'm going to engage in topics where I can speak to it with some level of competence and maintain my integrity by not, uh, as, you know, as Eric says, you have to be able to hold your positions honestly. Um, and at the same time, make it so that somebody would be willing to listen to the two of us talk because there's a billion things out there to do. Why would they listen to you and me? Right. So so the Bayesian inference and the priors have to matter. 
And so mm-hmm. if you're if you're gonna cooperate with a company, um, it depends, right? So if you're Apple and you're cooperating, but you're cooperating with China and they're stealing all your intellectual property, is that really worth it, right? And now they're starting to learn that it's uh, it's kind of hard to extract your supply chain that you spent 25 years building, and a part of the world whose policies are no longer in flow with your own. Yeah. And who would have known that a bunch of communists aren't the kind of people you'd want to be in bed with? Who could have predicted predicted that that one? Right. But in the short term, your strategy was I can make a couple of trillion dollars for my shareholders. Might as well go all in on that. Right. So, so this is where, again, it's just like before we have to look at it and say, was your judgment sound? And, and I say this from a perfectly, I think the best show on planet earth that ever was written was breaking bad. And the best line from it was from Gustavo Fring who said to Walt, you can never trust a drug addict, right? Mm-hmm. So if you see a person who judge, who practices poor judgment, i.e., if you're going to do business with the communist country, whatever comes is going to come. And when it does come, I'm not going to have sympathy or empathy for you. Right. I understand why you did it, but will I be sorry that you got destroyed from it? No, because I saw your values that you speak of, and I see that you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth, and you're willing to do business on that side but you're willing to speak harshly on this side. And when somebody questions you as to why you're backing movement A in this country while not speaking out against movement B in that country, now we're talking about Disney, of course, and their entire push to the, to the agenda versus having slave labor uh, Muslims, the Uyghurs in China for their movies. What starts to happen there very quickly is um, they start to come to the terms of something that the Afghans always preach, which is that, if you're not trustworthy and you're not loyal and you don't have integrity, if one of those things breaks, all of them breaks. Yeah. Right. So if you ever had a conversation with me where you felt Ace has no integrity, the rest of it wouldn't matter. Our previous four hour podcast, this hour and a half, none of the conversations we've had would matter because instantaneously everything we've done would be multiplied by zero. Right. So people always talk about a, about a, a multiplier. Sometimes they forget that multiplier is a zero. Right? <laughs> you can you can easily get yourself into a situation where your multiplier is a zero. And once that happens to you, uh, there's really no coming back. And so you got we go back to that original idea, practice judgment before you practice compassion and empathy. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for some reason, uh, a line from Jim Cramer, of all people, popped into my head there. And that sell, is- sell, sell. Stocks do go to zero. They do go to zero. They they have stock zero. markets go to zero. Um, you know what's a really rare thing that people take for granted? Is the fact that you could short something. Mm. That's a that's a that's a new phenomenon. It, it, it never happened before because the, if, if you if I am in the market to short something, somebody has to be willing to pay me on the other side of that bet, right? Mm-hmm. And if if you're shorting an entire country, <clears throat> and that country is deeply embedded into your economy. And you short them and they go under, who's going to be able to pay you on this side of the equation? Yes. Right? I don't know if you ever saw that movie with, uh, with Steve Carell. I think uh, it wasn't Margin Call. What was it called? Uh, Brad Pitt's in it. Oh, uh, The Big Short. The Big Short. Yeah. Right? So they remember that, that scene near the end where he's like, if you don't sell now, there's nobody on the other side to sell for you after. <laughs> and he kept wanting to hold, right? Yeah. Because of his rage about the incompetence and the sheer uh, uh, Machiavellian nature of their deception was pissing him off to the point where he wanted to see them buried but he had to be gently reminded that if they are buried in fact there will be no payout so your position 
<laughs> has to have a, a cutoff point from which you have to say, okay, I've proven my point here. I've, 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 I've stated what I said, and I think it's time for me to walk from it, which is why you and I kept saying, we're, we're willing, there are hills we'll die on. You know, for a family, you come after my family, that's a hill I'm going to die on. Uh, am I going to get canceled for speaking against a particular flag on a podcast? No, I don't really care. I, I tell, in fact, I tell those people, triple down, quadruple down. I yeah. would love nothing more than to see you take your desire to the maximum degree. Go I for mean, it. A part of the mitigation strategy, at least for me on that, is trying to align myself with people who have similar thoughts so I don't become dependent on uh, people who um, have crazy beliefs. Yeah, yeah. It's been, and, and, and what's, what's, what's interesting and fascinating about that is as you build a product, right, if you are in the artistic camp of building things because you love, because there's two ways to do this, right? I can build something so I can make money, which is fine. A lot of people yeah. just have to pay their bills. That's what they do. Or you could do a principle that serves above that, which is that I want to be a force for creation. And the way I will illustrate that for you is as follows. And so right now, everybody knows that America is the big bad wolf. America could go into any country on planet Earth and they could destroy it within minutes, right? One nuclear bomb or one HMS carrier, George W. Bush Sr., whatever the case is, and launch 100 Tomahawk cruise missiles and they could destroy it. Sure. But real power is what can they build, right? Mm. And you say, okay, take your might and let's just see you fix uh, California or let's just see you fix Chicago. Can you do it? Right, because a force for creation is about a thousand times harder than a force for destruction. Well, I mean, maybe we get the guy from El Salvador to come into Chicago and uh, take care you of You know, pe people hate that guy, but uh, if you listen to, to uh, I think his name is Bukaleli. I I think I'm gonna butcher, but it's Bukaleli. Yeah, um, Nayab Bukaleli. Yeah. So I, I was watching how he handled the crime problem, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's funny to hear people in human rights organizations complain about the way he's handling the crime." In a country, oh, he's no, he's he's uh, he's uh, violating human rights. I'm like, listen, here's the trade-off the people of that country made. The trade-off they made is that your idealized solution of human rights was not good enough because they couldn't go out on the street and have their kids play. Right. So they made a choice. They said, hey, for the time being, we need you to clean up these streets. Now, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, that's their people's choice. They made that choice. Why can't you live with that choice? Why do you have to project your values onto those people when who's who's the consequences of your decisions and your preferences you're not going to have to live out? Yeah. I mean, shout out to Ed Clay, a buddy of mine who just got back from El Salvador. He said it was amazing down there, that it was super safe, that people were um, quite happy on the street. It seemed to be thriving. And whatever uh, uh, the president did <clears throat> there, it has been a resounding success. I mean, yeah. and, it's, and it's you, the unfortunate uh, nature of the situation is that, you know, and then this is uh, like you were talking about the, the, the Stalins, the, the Hitlers, the, you know, uh, the Maos and whatnot, the Z's, uh, Z's, and, you know, some people you can't negotiate with, they're not yep. going to change their behavior and they only, they only respond to force. Um, yep. And that, you know, they, they, and a lot of these criminals that are operating within these cities like Chicago are not going to, you're not going to send a counselor out. That's not going to no. work. Um, no. And that you, 
and that the the only solution if you want to uh deal with them is to make them disappear yeah yeah no no there's um some people i i, I guess it's it's this idea that how far do you have to be gone before you're gone yeah. right so and i remember this this and this is me paraphrasing christopher hitchens and he gave the example of um you know friends colleagues brothers if i dare may if i may dare say comrades he said you know if you were in debt i could pay your debt mm-hmm. uh, if you were being persecuted and imprisoned i could volunteer on your behalf to pay the penalty and do your time for you but there's a line and the line is if you show up to me and you say to me that uh i just had an underage child and i took advantage of them i have to draw the line right so so the, the problem is again this goes back to that compassion idea right the compassion can't be unlimited because yep. the minute it, it feels like it's unlimited it turns into a weapon against you yeah you have to say to people look you were brought up in possibly the worst situation possible right crime riddled neighborhood uh drug dealer for a father who's in prison mother who's uh engaged in prostitution because she has to pay the bills and she's her boyfriend is abusive i will give you all of that yeah here's what i will not give you i will not give you the freedom to use that as an excuse for any bad decisions you make that's our that's our pact i will make you this deal that if you try to do things the right way i will have your back but there are lines that I will not allow you to cross. If you kill another child because you're joining a rival gang, I will not excuse your behavior because of your past. So this is that whole idea that compassion cannot be unlimited because nothing is unlimited, right? And neither can judgment be unlimited either. You can't constantly judge people harshly because you don't have all the facts. So this is where that whole balance situation comes into play. And I think where, the, where Team Blue loses the, the conversation is in their mind, everything is excusable if the person is a victim that is unlimited compassion and there's no judgment involved in that and that and uh, ironically there's actually i just realized not only is there no judgment involved in that on the side of the victim but all the judgment is transferred onto the side of the person pointing out that the victim is doing wrong yes so it's actually it's a disservice on two levels right so one you're not giving the person the opportunity to get feedback loops from reality to say hey you know perhaps Engaging in petty theft is not a good idea because it opens a door for your mind to engage in bigger crimes later. Oh, you're so judgmental. How can you say that? He's just a hungry child, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> I learned this from studying Sufi Islam. Take a reason, take a guess as to why they tell you not to smoke. It's very simple. They say it's not that the smoking is bad. It's that it leads to the habit that makes it bad. Okay. Right, so it's that first cigarette turns you onto the second cigarette, which turns you into the pack, which turns you into the smoker for life. Right? So right. S- certain acts that you engage in open the door for habits to be formed. Creating dependencies is, that will cause right. you problems later on. Okay, I see what you're saying. Right? This is why. So, so if you see a child engage in activities that you disapprove of as a parent, when you're mad at them, they think you're just mad at them because of what they did. What they don't realize because their time horizon hasn't developed yet is that you're mm-hmm. preventing them from becoming a person you never want to see them as an adult. Right, yeah. Right, because you're, you're, you're nipping that in the bud because you're like, I'm projecting into the future. And if this is how you behave now, I don't want you to, to, to be the kind of person I'd walk away from 20 years from now, right? Yeah. So, so this is where, again, that judgment comes into play, which is judgment, a prerequisite of judgment is a time horizon built into it. 
the compassion, ironically, is the space uh, uh, equation. So they're like, okay, all your rules of judgment are collapsing because in this space, this person needs all the compassion they can have. But if you give them all the compassion they can have, you've discounted the future of what they're going to do. And as a consequence, you're setting them up for failure. And if you're judging them harshly only on the future, you're not giving them a chance to rehabilitate in the present by giving them a chance to actually appropriately compensate for the damage they've caused, you are now collapsing on the other side of the equation. So you have to walk this fine balance. This is why that yin-yang philosophy of, of, of Buddhism actually makes sense. If you think about it from that point of view, collapsing space versus collapsing time, maximizing judgment versus maximizing compassion, all of it comes into play. Yeah, and and this is this like forgive. This is where I think people in Christianity a lot get confused about the uh, virtue of forgiveness because it is a central tenet, you know, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, the Old Testament there's not that much forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's a lot of just consequences. That's right. And then then Jesus comes in and uh, says, "Okay, we've we've got to be forgiving," but the forgiveness really comes from the acceptance that you did something wrong and that you are correcting your actions. Like the the idea that you are forgiving somebody for wronging you or for being us making mistakes, being a sinner and, and without that correction is, is Mm -hmm. to me, it's a major mistake. It's a major thing that people get wrong. Um, because then, then you're simply just allowing people. You're 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 perpetuating a circumstance. So I'll, I'll, I'm glad you brought that up. It, it brought into uh, a sense of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. Have you ever been a fan? And I'm sure you have. I, I years and years ago, I read a little bit, but not much. Okay, I'm going to tie this up for you into a nice little bow, hopefully, um, and hopefully you enjoy it. Have you ever watched Star Trek? Yeah, yeah a little bit. Yeah, a, little, a bunch okay. of a bunch of next generation. Okay, okay. So I'll, I'll give you the, the version of Star Trek that most people are familiar with, which is uh, Captain Kirk and, and Commander Spock, right? So uh, same thing with Joan and Watson or John and uh, Holmes. Um, what, what actually tends to happen is that's a left brain and a right brain having a conversation about the unknown. Right. So when you see Commander Spock, he's purely logic driven. Mm-hmm. And when you see Captain Kirk, he's emotionally instinctively driven and they're out in space, which is the unknown. Right. So that's the metaphor. Mm-hmm. You're working with that whole idea. And when you watch the show, if you're riveted by that idea, what's actually happening is both those halves of the brain are speaking to you on two different channels. Right. Similarly, the Old Testament and the New Testament are exactly the same. It's the yin and yang. Hmm. It's the harsh judgment with the compassion of, of Christ. It can't One can't do without the other. Right? Hmm. So you can't run into a situation full on instinct without some logic to back you up. And with pure logic, you'll, you'll, you'll corner yourself into a, a really terrible situation very, very quickly. Hmm. I really like this analogy. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So I found that this is, this is why when you, like, I'll give you an example. One of the things that people get wrong frequently is this idea of how to actually ingest the idea of the Old Testament against the New Testament. They don't, mm. they don't really necessarily know how to, how to process that. Right? So I always tell them, said, okay, if I forgive you for what you did, that's a small part of the actual consequences that you have to live with. 
So if you harm me and I forgive you, that's okay. But the judgment that that action is going to partake on you, you still have to live with it. So if you steal from me, I will forgive you, but you still have to do your time. Right. Yeah. Most people confuse the fact that if I forgive you, that means I'm going to let you not go. I'm not going to press charges and you're just scot-free able to go. Yeah. Right. This is this is the confusing part of it. It's like I, I forgive you for what you did. I'm not going to hold any anger against you. However, in fairness to yourself and to me and to the world, I'm going to insist upon the law activating whatever mechanism it has with the judgment of the flawed judges who are going to sit and look at what you did and whatever time that they deem necessary for you to contemplate your actions. That's our, that's our payoff. That's how we're going to end this. Now here's where the twists and words comes into play. So you look at countries where they, they engage in, Oh, uh, the United States, the IMF and the world bank have engaged in debt forgiveness for this country, right? When you hear that word, you think to yourself, Oh, wow, they're so generous. They've forgiven this country for billions of dollars. Well, the truth of the matter is, they already made their principal plus profit from all the years of interest that they collected anyway. And what they're really forgiving is the remaining interest that they would have collected on said debt. Right. So, so, so people get this all confused. Like, Oh, well, that's what this word means. Oh, if you forgive me, it means that I don't have to take the punishment or the consequences. Mm. Not true. You do have to take the consequences. You, nobody can ever allow you to escape the consequences of your actions. People, get those parts very easily confused and they get caught into a trap. And this is what's constantly happened to the country of Pakistan. Fascinating Mm. country. They have never had a president entirely serve a a term. It's always either a coup or there's some sort of upheaval and they're constantly in debt and they're constantly broke and they need money because the IMF has to constantly bail them out. And now China's involved and China has to bail them out. And they have a, a population instantaneously, almost always in miserable state of living because they're always seeking debt forgiveness and new debt to be given to them so they can have a chance to, 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 to you know, participate in the world economy. But all that money goes into the army and all that army money goes into their weapons system so they can, you know, sustain their power. And this is where that whole dichotomy of how do you evaluate forgiveness and judgment appropriately. And, and Pakistan might be at that crossing roads for the first time in 70 years where there is no forgiveness. It's just pure judgment. Hmm. The judgment is, sorry, we have to watch your entire civilization collapse and you'll have to rebuild it from scratch from the ground up. Now, the odds of that happening, not that low because, again, it's a nuclear state. You don't want to necessarily have the, you know, the Taliban. By the way, interesting factor, the Taliban and Afghanistan have decided to go to war with the Taliban from Pakistan. And the Taliban and Afghanistan have also decided to go to war with the Iran's Revolutionary National Guard. Who would have thought that Biden tucked tail and running from Afghanistan would have enabled Afghanistan to go to war with uh, Iran? But this is the consequences of the world we're living in. Wow, that's kind of crazy. Right? Like, did you see that on your bingo card for 2023? No, no, no. I, <laughs> my bingo card is like, it, there's no marks on it anymore. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know why I have this card. Nothing I don't even know why I have the true. card. I, it's... <laughs> Well, Ace, we are approaching two hours right yes, now, and I that's the conversation. I this has been a lovely conversation. I figured we would uh, get a little under two hours, so it could the entire conversation could be Twitter native and yes, uh, contained in one tweet. Perfect. I, <laughs> I appreciate your time as always. It's always fun to talk to you, and uh, I hope you watch Star Trek with uh, with new eyes and 
and maybe you'll I re- enjoy the philosophical. I really of- enjoyed that uh, that that um, testament, uh, old and new testament uh, uh, metaphor there. That that was I, that's you, I'm going to use that one. Right. You you will take it as you as you please, and just another little um, uh, tidbit for you there. The idea that I came across, I'm a big fan of you know comic books and books and whatnot. Is you might enjoy this one is that uh, Bruce Wayne is actually in in, in the uh, Arkham Asylum and he's actually crazy and he's imagining the entire world where he's Batman. Right. So now watch the movie and see how it colors your perspective on it. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but <laughs> think about it, right? It's like, that's a crazy person dreaming and uh, it, it, it totally shades a different perspective onto that particular show. Interesting. All right. Ace, it's Thank been real. Thanks time. so much. Appreciate it, brother. Have a Talk great one. Soon. Cheers. Cheers.